A reading from the Gospel of Mark. That day, when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. The word of the Lord. There's something very encouraging about hearing uh, the stories of others who really can testify to the truth of God's word. This morning we have opportunity. I want you to welcome who's going to share her story with us. All that applause is meant to say thank you. We uh, appreciate you. We're grateful, uh, grateful for your courage, your willingness to be vulnerable and share your storm story. And I think one of the reasons that we can all be so grateful to you for sharing your storm story and pointing to the goodness of Jesus in it is because we all have storm stories. Uh, we're grateful not to have yours, uh, but we all have our own, right? We all have our own. And uh, what I'd like to do is share with you today some of the good news of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, some of the good news of what Jesus does to our storms. If storms in life are inevitable, the question I think we wonder about is what difference does Jesus make to the storms in our lives, and what difference does Jesus make to the sailor in the storm, if you will? What difference does Jesus make to the condition of our hearts in the midst of the storms? You heard this reading from Jesus' life. From the Gospel of Mark, Jesus and his disciples, they were together. Jesus had been doing some teaching. They were big crowds. They got into a boat, and they began to sail across Lake Galilee. You've usually heard it called the Sea of Galilee, but I want to communicate to you that it's kind of small, actually. You can see the other side when you get in on one side. And yet, there's some hills around, and a storm sweeps down unexpectedly. Is it also your experience in life that when storms strike, you don't see them coming ahead of time most of the time? A storm comes down onto the waters, and it kicks up the waves and the wind is blowing and the disciples are afraid and they're taken on water and they wake Jesus up. They wake Jesus up. (laughs) He's asleep on a pillow in the stern of the boat in the midst of the storm. They wake him up. Jesus says to the storm, to the waves, peace be still, hush, be quiet, storm. He rebukes the storm and then there's a great calm, the great calm, and then he turns to the disciples and he asks them, why are you so afraid? What are you afraid of? Now, you would think the answer to that question would be a little bit obvious, wouldn't you, right? And then he goes, oh, do you still not yet have faith? Right? The alternative to the fear in this case, do you not yet have faith? And the disciples realize what's happened, and they're in awe of him, and they go, who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? Story of Jesus calming the storm. Call me Captain Obvious if you want, but the first observation I'd like to make about this story and about the experience, I think, of what it means to be a follower of Jesus yet today is simply this, that there will be storms. (laughs) That there will be storms, right? There's a literal storm in the story. It comes down. Mark includes this odd little detail in the story. There were also other boats on the water. You're like, well, why do you got to tell us that? 
I think Mark the narrator, Mark the biographer, Mark the storyteller, this is a little clue, a little invitation to us as readers to see ourselves in the story, to realize, yeah, we're out there on the water, we're in our storms, and to understand what Jesus can do to us and to the storms in our lives. There, there will be storms. I, I know this is obvious, but I pause over this because, frankly, it's, it kind of kills me. It, it breaks my heart how many people I know and love and have been a part of churches with me and Christian community over the years who will see a storm strike in their lives. And I think somewhere along the lines, somebody made them an empty promise. Somebody sold them a bill of goods. That if, you know, if there is a God, if you worship God and you try to do basically right, then, you know, everything will be just fine in your life. It'll all be happy from here on out. There's, there's nothing about the life of Jesus that would make me think that's true. There is nothing about the lives of his earliest followers, the lives of Christians around the world and throughout history that would make me think that's true. And yet emotionally, I know where it comes from. I get it. It comes from the pain and the hopelessness and like, well, this system can't be working. But what breaks my heart about it so much is that we would deprive ourselves of the resources of God when we need him the most. That God himself offers us so much, and he teaches us so much in the scriptures, so many important wealth of resources for navigating the storms that we would then have to do without just at the moment when we need them the most. Let me just give you one example of kind of how this works, and it's an example from the Bible. Uh, have you heard of the, the book of Psalms? It's this book of collection of poetry and songs uh, that are right kind of in the middle of the Bible. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can turn there with me if you want. You open it to the middle and then turn left and go a few pages, and you're in the book of Psalms. And uh, this is Psalm 6. This is written by a, um, a, an ancient king. His name is David. He was king over Israel a thousand years before Jesus. He's an ancestor of Jesus, as a matter of fact. Not only was he king, but he was a musician and a poet too. Some guys have it all, right? And David wrote a lot of the Psalms, including this one. I might call it a a storm psalm. He cries out to God. He laments. You know the word lament? He laments to God in the midst of his pain. Lord, don't rebuke me in your anger. Don't discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord. I'm faint. Heal me, Lord. My bones are in agony. My soul's in anguish. How long, Lord? How long? I'm dying here. I'm all worn out. I'm at my wit's end. I'm at the end of my rope. I'm filling the Bible up with cliches. You know, I'm all tired here, right? This is all I got. How long? I happen to be reading a lot of the Psalms in my own personal Bible reading these days, and that strikes me as one of the more common lines of prayer, how long? Have you ever been in a storm? Have you ever been in pain? Have you ever been in a struggle where you wondered, I don't know how much longer I can keep doing this, right? How long? David cries out to God in the midst of his pain. Then he, then he prays, turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. And don't miss this verse. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? Have you ever bargained with God in prayer? And if you're not willing to admit it, can you imagine the person next to you has bargained with God in prayer? Can you imagine? And David's bargaining chip here, this is audacious. This is cheeky. David goes, if you don't save me, I can't worship you. You want me to worship you, right? I would love to have a testimony. I would love to have a story that I could tell people. I was in the midst of the storm, and I cried out to you, and you saved me. But for me to have a testimony of how you saved me, you're going to have to save me, right? It's a bold prayer. I'm worn out from my groaning all night long. I flood my bed with weeping. Is it a coincidence that this happens at night? Do your problems also seem worse after dark? Does that happen to you too? All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. 
My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Now, we don't know a lot about the circumstances out of which David is praying. There's some stories in his life that this kind of makes sense with, but the specifics just aren't given to us in this prayer. There are foes. There are people who are mistreating him. He feels desperate. He feels like maybe he's persecuted. He's perhaps knowing his story, chased. He's in real danger. He gives these graphic descriptions of how I'm weeping. I drench my couch with my tears. Some translators say, I make my mattress swim with my own tears. He's desperate. He's crying out to God. I think the the vagueness, the lack of details, is a help to us. It invites us in. We can bring whatever our own story is here and go, I know what it feels like to hurt. I know what it feels like to be more desperate after dark. I know what it is to cry out to God and not know where hope is coming from. And let me just point something out real quickly about these verses. It's an assumption throughout the Bible, and so we probably take it for granted. It's a presumption that just seems familiar, but allow me to remind you how mind-blowing this is. The presumption of biblical faith is that the God of heaven and earth would care that you are hurting. That the God of a hundred billion galaxies should care that you and I are having a hard time. That you and I are hurting. It's remarkable, a remarkable claim about the character of God. And then he continues and finishes, Away from me, all you who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. This is characteristic of these storm psalms, these lament psalms, that usually somewhere in the middle toward the end, the prayer, David, King David in this case, makes a turn from his desperation to expressions of confidence and faith and worship. And this is important. Without any indication that the external circumstances have changed at all. Something has happened to the internal storm before God has done anything about the external storm. There's every indication that the external storm has not ceased. All my enemies will be overwhelmed at some point in the future. I trust that God will do this. Whenever that will be, I trust in him. And there's this turn toward faith in the middle of this psalm. These crying out to God in the midst of the storm psalms are so common. They're the most common single type of psalm, as a matter of fact. You know, the word psalm can more literally be translated as praise. This is the book of Psalms. Literally, it's the book of praises. Does it, it's, it's interesting to me, it's, it's poignant to me, that the most common kind of psalm in the book of praises is a lament psalm, is a cry out to God and trust God with your pain kind of psalm. That's meaningful to me. I used to be, when I was in graduate school, I was a teaching assistant for a, a woman, who's, she was, her name was Ellen Davis. She was an Old Testament professor very careful reader of scripture and a great teacher of scripture. And Ellen wrote a book, several books that are really helpful with reading the Psalms and other parts of the Old Testament. At one point, I read uh, a quote from her that I'm going to share with you in a second. She said, uh, observing the preponderance of these lament, cry out to God in the storm Psalms, it must be that the Bible thinks, Israelite faith, God wants us to know that the, the kind of prayer in which we most need fluency is the loud groan. (laughs) That we need to learn how to cry out to God and go, God, I'm dying here. I don't know how much longer I can take this. Save me. Okay, I trust you, even in the storm. I trust you to learn how to grow faith, how to exercise our faith, even in the midst of the storm. Because there will be storms. (laughs) There will be storms. And what we need, what we need is a robust, healthy relationship with a trustworthy God. In the midst of the storms. 
So let me say a few things about that relationship. The first thing, the next thing, the first thing I'll say about that, the next thing that I see in this passage is that the storm reveals us. When storms strike, they reveal us, don't they? The disciples, they're in the boat, a storm comes down, and they're terrified, which makes sense, isn't it? I mean, I would be frightened in that circumstance too. They're afraid because their vulnerability has been exposed. How many of you love it when your vulnerability gets exposed? Anybody? Don't you spend, most of us, I think, most of us spend more energy than we realize trying to hide our vulnerabilities from one another. We all put on masks. We all pretend like there's no storms in my life. Oh, I mean, there's this little storm, but don't worry. I got this, right? The disciples are in the middle of a storm, and they don't got this, right? The storm is bigger than they are. They're smaller than that which threatens them. Their vulnerability has been exposed, and so they are afraid, and they react out of fear. And now you have the real internal storm that sometimes can be every bit as dangerous to us and to other people as the external storm. It is my experience, and it is my observation, that we are the worst versions of ourselves when we are driven by our fears. That we are the worst versions of ourselves and we act out of our fears. Because out of our fears, we get defensive, right? we got to protect ourselves. We get defensive. And I don't know about you, but when I get defensive, I get offensive. I get offensive. Because I want to protect myself, so I lash back out. Because somewhere, I think many of us have intuited the non-Christian, un-Christian proverb that the best defense is a good offense, right? And so we get, def- we get afraid, we get defensive, we get offensive, and we get mean. We are the worst versions of ourselves as individuals, as communities, as a society, when we are acting out of our fears. But Jesus is so brilliant. He is so powerful and so good. He is the light no darkness can overcome. <laughs> Jesus is so... He, he's the light no darkness can overcome. He's brilliant. It's okay, we're good now. Uh, and he says to the disciples in the midst of their fears... Why are you afraid? And then he goes, do you not yet have faith? Maybe you had faith in yourself, but the storm, but the storm was bigger than you. It exposed you, right? Do you not yet have faith? Not that you got this, but that God's got this. The first kind of faith I think Jesus means is faith like he has, faith in God. The kind of faith that allows you to be confident, calm, cool as a cucumber in the midst of the storm, asleep on a pillow in the stern of the boat, if that's what it takes. Faith in God like Jesus did. God's got this. Even if I don't, God's got this. But I think also Jesus means in Mark telling the story he wants for us to see not just faith like Jesus, but faith in Jesus. And this is a little bit different because the storm actually also not only reveals us, but the storm also reveals Jesus. It reveals Jesus. Jesus rebukes the storm, which is a weird thing to do to a natural phenomenon, isn't it? He rebukes the storm. This is the same thing Jesus does to the evil spirits earlier in the Gospel of Mark. He is stronger than the things that threaten us. By his word, he has command over them. And then what does Jesus say to the storm? He tells the storm, hush, peace be still. More colloquially, Jesus says to the storm, shut up you. Which is, I understand what it means, but isn't that a weird thing to say to the weather? Why is it described that way? Except that it's the very same thing that Jesus says earlier in the Gospel of Mark to the evil spirits that he saves people from. Jesus is stronger than the things that threaten us. And the disciples start to realize something about Jesus. At the end of the story, after he has replaced the great storm with a great calm, the disciples wonder. They are in awe of Jesus. And they say, who is this? Who is this that even the wind and the waves obey him? And the very words in which this question is recorded, I think, 
hint at an answer that they could not bring themselves yet to speak out loud. Let me show you what I mean. There's another psalm. This happens to be Psalm 107. A psalm that Jesus and his disciples would have been praying in the synagogue and in their homes since childhood. A psalm in this case that I think came back to them. The words of this psalm came back to them in this moment because it was so much like what they were experiencing. And this question echoes the words of the end of this passage of Scripture. So I'm going to read to you. Uh, if you want to look it up later, you can. It's Psalm 107, 23 through 29. Listen to this. Some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. He spoke and stirred up a tempest and lifted high the waves. And they mounted up to the heavens and they went down to the depths. They were rolling on these big swells. In their peril, their courage melted away. They reeled and staggered like drunkards. You ever been in a boat where it was rocking and rolling? They were at their wit's end. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. This is, if you read this in translation, the word Lord is in all caps, which is not a font error. This is the translator's way of indicating, I'm not just translating the generic word God, I'm translating the name of God. This is Yahweh, that Jewish people are reticent about articulating. And so they translate it this way, they cried out to the living God, that's who they cried out to, in their trouble, and he brought them out of their distress. He stilled the windstorm to a whisper, and the waves of the sea were hushed. Who, who did that? Who did that? And now the disciples are in the midst of the storm, rocking and rolling up and down the swells, and they cry out to Jesus, and he takes the great storm and turns it into a great calm. They cried out to Jesus, and he did this, and then they went, hold on, who is this? Who, who is this that even the wind and the waves would obey him? They, they, I think they had already figured out that Jesus was the most powerful, most incredible teacher of God's word, the greatest rabbi who'd ever lived. And I think they were beginning to reckon with the idea that Jesus could be the Messiah, that like he could be the deliverer, savior, prophet of God that their people had been waiting for for generations, for centuries. It was too good to hope for, but they were beginning to believe this might actually be true. And now they're in the boat and they go, is it possible? No, can't, no. Is it possible that we are dealing here not just with the prophet of God, but with the presence? Did God get into the boat with us today? And this is what we Christians believe. We, we believe that in Jesus, we get, we receive, we have access to the, the kind of God, the God whose character it is not to see us in the storm over there and come over here from a safe distance and offer us his hashtag thoughts and prayers from over here. We get the God who got into the storm with us. We get the God whose power it is not to stay at a safe distance, but to ride out the waves with us, to ride out the storm with us even if it kills him. And it did. (laughs) And three days later, he got up again because he is stronger than anything that threatens us, even death itself. And no matter how long your storm lasts and how high the waves go and how hard it rages, should it kill you, you can trust the Lord Jesus who got into the boat with you and who will defeat the enemy, be the enemy, death itself. Praise God for his power. 
So here's what I want to do. I just want to invite us to respond to the goodness and the promise and the character of God in prayer, to come to Jesus in prayer, to worship him by being honest about our storms, to go ahead and name our storms to him in prayer like we learn to do from the scriptures. We're going to name our great storm, including the fears that it royal. Not You don't have to do it out loud. I'm not scaring you. Just bring it before Jesus. And then we'll invite him to create a great calm in our lives and then honor him and then honor him in the midst of the storm. All right, so let's, let's bow our heads together in prayer. Oh, Jesus, you know the storms in our lives. You know them with divine insight, and you know them even better because you've gotten into them with us. I, I just can hardly imagine. You know the storms. You know the, you know the diagnoses that are blowing into our lives and the fear that we feel. You know the, the conflicted, anxious, broken relationships in our lives, the storm of it all, and the anxiety and the pain, the fear and the wounds. You know the loneliness in our hearts, the desire to be loved and welcomed. You know the broken marriages in our lives, the storms. You know it all. And you know the fear. You know how it stirs up the fear in our lives. And Jesus, you know what it does to us. And it's not good for us and it's not good for the people in our lives. And so we bring you our great storms. Forgive us for our lack of faith. And we pray that you would bring a great calm. Please. Please do it soon. Please do it today. How long, oh Lord? How long? We don't know. We're at our wit's end. Please bring a great calm. We pray you would do it soon. But whenever you do it, today, tomorrow, next week, next year, in the new creation, we trust you. We trust you because you wrote it out with us, because you're in it with us, because you've demonstrated victory over the greatest enemy we ever could have known. We love you. We trust you. We honor you. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Amen.